All right, so Matthew 22, uh, this is going to be the last night of our parables series. We've been looking at the parables of Jesus for the past five weeks. Um, this is the last week. So as, you, as we've looked at these different stories that Jesus has told that paint a picture of the kingdom of God, what are some things for you guys that you have as like takeaways? What are some things you guys have learned, grabbed out of these messages? What are some things that you've uh, maybe been reminded, whatever, just I'd love to hear what God is teaching you through this series. Anyone? If you're not learning anything, you can say that too. It'd be nice to know. What have you guys gotten out of this series? What have you learned? What has God shown you as we've looked at parables? Do you remember anything? Do you guys remember Jay? Do you guys remember him? Big guy. Do you remember what he talked about? He talked about the parable of the Good Samaritan. Do you remember anything from that night? Hmm? Maybe? No? Okay. Maybe we should do a better job teaching. <laughs> maybe we should do, maybe I'm just, we're just, we're just horrible teachers. You guys haven't learned anything. Okay. Just dead space. You guys are done for. School year's done. Finals are done. Your brains are fried, right? That's just how everybody feels. It's okay. So we're going to be in Matthew 22. This is the last night of this series. Um, feel free if you would like to answer something that you've learned. Uh, you, can, you can shout it out at any time, but I'm going to keep rolling. Um, this is the last night of this series. Next week, we will be uh, kind of throwing an end to your party, so we'll, just, we'll get some games out. We'll just be hanging out. Um, nothing too fancy. You're more than welcome to invite friends. Come hungry. We'll have pizza and stuff here. Um, but we're just going to come chill next week because I feel like chilling. I'm sure you guys feel like chilling because school's done, and that's just kind of the thing to do nowadays uh, during the summer. So if you want to come hang out for that next Wednesday, the 31st, uh, we will have pizza here at 6. So instead of doors opening at 6.30, um, we will have everything here and just kind of be setting up. Food will be ready around 6, so you're more than welcome to come and hang out with us and eat and um, spike a nine square in somebody's face or whatever. So... Uh, so Matthew 22. All right. So every single person in here has responded to the gospel in some way, right? So um, what is the gospel? Does anybody know? I hope so. If not, then we're really not doing our job if you don't know what that is. Kind of. Those are called gospels, okay? But what is the gospel? What is the gospel? Yes, it's, it's, it's the story of Jesus, which is close. That's the, the text that gives us the story of Jesus, but the entire Bible also points to the gospel. Gospel, that word, literally means good news. just means good news. That's all that word means. Um, and so anytime you see that word, trans, or the English word gospel in the New Testament, that is actually the Greek word for good news. And so why is the gospel good news? Why do you think the gospel is good news? Right. So Jesus has, Jesus has died, right? Uh, humanity is naturally inclined to be in rebellion against God because of our sin. Um, and, and Christ has died in order for God to, one, make himself known to us, but also make himself known to us in such a way where we can know him, where the initial state that God created humanity could 
or the initial state that God created humanity to be in could be returned, which is humanity without sin. Humanity perfected, knowing God intimately, being in relationship with God fully, and finally being completely regenerated in heart, soul, and spirit in a world without sin and death. And so it is, it is recreating, the gospel recreates humanity to where um, we can know God and we can throw away sin. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are renewed in mind. We are renewed in spirit through the blood of Jesus. We can become new creations in Christ, right? 2 Corinthians 5.17, the gospel does a lot. The gospel affects a lot. The gospel affects the way that we spend our time. The gospel affects the way that we, we see our lives because we see our ultimate pleasure now. Those of us who are in Christ, we see our ultimate pleasure in God. We are no longer pleased with the things of this world, but we find our ultimate pleasure, our ultimate joy, our ultimate happiness in God and in God alone. The goal of our lives, the ultimate vision of our lives is to pursue Christ with our lives. And that is the gospel. And the gospel impacts our human condition in such a way where we no longer desire sin, we desire Christ. And so um, God changes our desires in such a way where we desire Christ over sin and we can throw off sin and become new creatures. Every single person in this room has responded to this good news. Every single one of you has. Some of you have accepted it. You have received Christ. Christ is the Lord. Christ is Savior. You follow Christ with your life. You pursue Christ on a regular basis. You might not nail it every day, right? But you, you pursue him. He is the focus. He is the drive. He is your ultimate joy. He is your ultimate happiness. He is Lord. He is Savior. He is your treasure, right? These are all things. Every single time we've looked at a different parable, Jesus is unpacking the gospel in a different way. Every single par parable that Jesus tells paints a picture for us of the kingdom of God using a story that the common people of Jesus' time would have known. Today we're talking about a wedding feast. So there's something about our relationship with God that has to do with a wedding feast. There's something that has to do with the gospel. We've been talking about the gospel for like five weeks now. Um, and we've all responded. We've either accepted it or we've rejected it. Now here's the interesting thing about rejecting the gospel there are many people in the world, and I believe there are some people in this room, who believe they have accepted the gospel, but actually they have rejected it. Let me say that again. I, I, want you to, I want you to open up your ears for a moment. I believe that there's some people in this room who believe that they've accepted the gospel. They, they think they're saved. And the reason why they think they're saved is because, because somehow, some way in their life, they've misunderstood what it meant to follow Jesus. They were led astray by some sort of teaching that led them to believe that they were saved when they were not. I believe that some of us in this room might be there. You think you're saved and you're not, when in fact you've rejected the gospel. And some of us have just outright like rejected the gospel. We don't want anything to do with Christ. Um, Jesus is not um, important to us. We think religion is crazy, whatever. So um, either you've accepted it or you've rejected the gospel, right? But tonight, I pray, no matter where you're at, I pray that God makes it clear to you, one, what the gospel is, but two, where you stand. I, I want you to know for certain where you stand. If you're, if you're saved in here, I want your assurance of your salvation to go up, meaning I want your certainty of your salvation to go up. If you're not saved in here, or if you think that you're saved and you're actually not, I pray that God would expose that in your heart and open your eyes to see who Christ is so that you can truly respond to the gospel and receive Christ. So let's look at Matthew 22. Uh, we're just going to look at the we're going to look at the first 14 verses. Um, so I'm going to read this, or if somebody wants to read it, you're more than welcome. I'll leave it up to you. Does anybody want to read it? No. Okay. I will read it. Matthew 22:1. 
It's up on the screen. Once more, Jesus spoke to them. He's speaking to the Pharisees, the religious teachers of his day. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to summon those invited to the banquet, but they didn't want to come. Again, he sent out other servants and said, Tell those who are invited, See, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went away, one to his own farm and another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. That's a pretty mean way to respond to somebody who's just trying to tell you to come to a wedding. Then he told his servants, the banquet is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy, right? Because they didn't want to go. Go then where the roads exit the city and invite everyone you find to the banquet. So those servants went out on the roads and gathered everyone they found, both evil and good. The wedding banquet was filled with guests. Now listen to this. When the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed for a wedding. So he said to him, friend, How did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him up hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Many are invited, but few are chosen. Okay, so, interesting way to respond to somebody who's not in the right clothes, right? So the king comes into the wedding banquet. He sees a guy who seems to not be dressed appropriately, and he says, how did you get in here without the appropriate clothes? The guy doesn't say anything. He's speechless. He doesn't know what to say to this king, and the king throws him out into the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. So when it comes to planning a wedding, one of the hardest things for uh, Sarah and I when we were planning a wedding was our guest list, right? Um, Sarah, do you remember how many people we invited to our wedding? I don't. That's why I'm asking. Sure. Yeah, sure. 200, 300 people, okay? So, but the easiest part of that list, let me ask you this. What do you think the easiest part of that list was? So out of 300 people, who were the easiest people for us to decide to invite? Yes, our family. Why? We know them. They're, they're, we're closest to family, right? Like, I don't have to wake up and think about who my family is. I, I know who they are. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed to do that. Some of us don't, right? Some of us don't know who our family is. And, um, or some of us have some family that we know and some that we don't. Um, for me, I, I, know, I know a lot of my family, so it's easy for us to pick that. For the family that I don't know, well, I don't know them, so it was easy for me to not invite them, right? Because I didn't know them. But the easiest part of figuring out who's coming to the wedding are the people closest to you, right? So why am I telling you that? Because Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. Now, who are the Pharisees? If you've been in church for like longer than a year, you've probably heard that term, Pharisee, before. Have you heard, raise your hand if you've heard that term. Okay? Okay. Now, does anybody know what that is? I know you guys are like, you guys are, are, don't like responding. Huh? A priest. Yes. So, the Pharisees, were they Christians? No, they were Jewish, right? So they were Jewish. And the Pharisees who were Jewish were the religious leaders of the Jewish faith, um, especially in Jerusalem, okay? And so the Pharisees, they knew the scriptures, okay? They knew the Bible, at least the Jewish Bible, which consisted of the law, which is the first five books of the Bible, the prophets, all of the major and minor prophets, and the Psalms, which are your poetry books. That is all of the Old Testament. 
actually a lot of the Pharisees would have had either the entire Old Testament or the majority of the Old Testament almost memorized. So imagine that. Imagine somebody just being able to say, in the beginning, God, and just recite all of Genesis. Like, that's crazy. So these guys knew the Bible. They knew the prophecies about the Messiah. They knew the scriptures. Jesus is talking to them. Jesus is telling them them this parable. Why? Why is Jesus talking to the Pharisees in this parable? Because Jesus is actually painting a picture for them that they think, the Pharisees think, that they have eternal life with God and favor with God. The Pharisees think that they are one with God, united with God. And Jesus is revealing to them, no, you're not. In fact, even though you search the scriptures and you know about God and you read the Bible, you've missed him completely. Because I, the Messiah, am standing right here and you've missed me. This is Jesus talking to the Pharisees. And so what this passage is detailing, this is actually kind of a summary of the entire Old Testament. So put it this way. So the king wants to, go to, wants to invite people to his son's wedding banquet, right? The king is, a, is this image, this picture of God. He wants to invite people to his son's wedding banquet. Why? To celebrate, right? And so the king sends out his servants, the prophets of the Old Testament, to go tell people about the wedding banquet, come to the wedding banquet. And this is a picture of the prophets in the Old Testament continually going to the Jewish people, talking about the Messiah and saying, repent, turn from your sins and return to God. Repent. Turn from your sins and return to God, right? Jeremiah, the whole book of Jeremiah is about this. And actually, Jeremiah pronounces judgment over the people of Jerusalem because they didn't turn, repent from their sins, and turn back to God, right? Hosea is the same thing. Isaiah is the same thing. These prophets in the Old Testament mean something. And it's this continual reminder to the Jewish people that God has sent messenger after messenger to them, telling them to turn away from their idols and come back to God, to turn away from the things that they're worshiping and come back to God. Much like I stand up here each week and, and encourage and challenge you to turn away from the things that you're worshiping in your life and come back to God. So, first set of servants. Second set of servants, right? Because they reject them. And then we see in verse 4, they come back, right? They come back. And he, so he sends out a second group of servants, and then what happens? You see they're not interested, right? They're not interested in the kingdom of God. They turn the servants away. They said, we don't want to come. It says that they actually returned uh, one to his farm and one to his business. So they're like, we're worried about our things. We're not going we're we're to worry about these guys. We're not going to worry about the king. We're worried about our own things. We're going to do that, okay? And then some of them kill the servants, right? It says that. It says in verse 6, while the rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. So the second group of servants comes. The people, the, the people who are symbolizing the Israelites kill them. Now, who is this second group symbolizing? Jesus and the apostles, right? Because Jesus and the apostles came to the Jewish people. That's what the Gospels are about. Jesus came to testify to the Jewish people that the kingdom of God has come. Repent and turn from your sins, right? Come near to the Father through the Son, Believe in me. It's all, all Jesus talks about through the book of John is believe in me and you will be, know me and you will know the Father because I and the Father are one. This is the book of John. If you know me, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I will lead you to the Father. This is Jesus talking. Jesus is the only way to the Father. And so these servants come and they say, come to the wedding feast again, right? This wedding feast is, is picturing this celebration of, of the people being united to the king and celebration of a wedding. Much like we are united to God in salvation. But some of them kill, they kill Jesus, right? Because Jesus was crucified, we know that, and he rose from the dead. But then the apostles, every single one of the 11 apostles 
and Paul died. They died for their faith. They were killed for their faith. So these servants killed the second set of messengers, the apostles and Jesus. And so what God is doing here is he says, then he told the servants in verse 8, the banquet is ready, but those who have invited, Israel is not worthy. So go outside of the city, meaning Jerusalem, which is a a picture and a symbol for all of the, the Jewish people. Go outside of the city to the Gentile nations, the people who are far from God, and go get them. And it says, actually goes as far as saying, invite all of them, good and evil, right? And so he goes, fills the banquet, and then we have the, the story with the guy with the wedding clothes. So, so why am I summarizing this story for you? Because I want you to see that this is both simultaneously a picture of us in our rejection against God and a picture of Israel and the Pharisees' rejection against God, right? Because we can look at the Bible. Let me ask you this. Raise your hand if you read a story in the Bible and you were like, I just don't know how this has to do with my life. Like, you can be honest. I'm one of those. Like, I just don't know how this story about these people 2,000 years ago has anything to do with me. Because it's 2017. I got my iPhone. I got my Facebook. They don't got any of that back then. I don't know what this has to do with my life. Right? I struggled with that a lot, especially when I was a new uh, Christian. And so, yes, this is a story about the Pharisees rejecting Jesus and rejecting the gospel. And the gospel being welcomed and, and made, uh, the gospel being made available to Gentile nations, which are non-Jewish people, which, raise your hand in here if you're Jewish. Right, so we're all Gentiles, so it applies to us. But not only that, but we are all, just like the Pharisees, wired to be in rebellion against God, period. When you were born, you were in rebellion against God. Here's how I know this for a fact. I have a one-year-old son. I do not have to teach my one-year-old son how to be bad. He just like knows how to disobey. I don't have to teach him that, right? Have you ever seen a parent have to teach a child how to misbehave? You don't. That right there is one of the greatest pictures of the fallen nature that we have outside of the Bible. You don't have to teach a child how to misbehave. We just do it. It's in our nature. It's who we are. We are sinful we, we got god and god longs god longs to draw his people near and recreate us to where sin no longer has a hold on us he does that through christ and so sin has not only killed the hearts of the pharisees toward god but sin has killed our hearts as well and this parable by extension exposes our hearts that are filled with sin just as much as Jesus used it to expose the hearts of the Pharisees. That's why it's in the Bible. And so the last, the last sentence is kind of the whole point. It says, for many are called and few are chosen. And we're going to look at three things, three things tonight that show, and we're going to go through them quick. Like, it's not going to take very long. But three things that set apart the chosen. These are, and the chosen in this passage are the ones who are saved. Okay, so if you hear me say chosen, that means the people who are saved. Now, here's what we mistake, and I want to I kind of preface everything I'm going to say with this. A lot of us think this. If one of these three things is going on in my life, then I'm saved. Not true. In order for us to be saved, evidence of our salvation in Jesus is all three of these things together, okay? So you can't, like, take two and leave one. You can't take one and leave two. All three apply to everyone who is in Christ. 
And if one of these three things does not apply to you tonight, I would encourage you to examine yourself to see if you are in the faith. And if there's any doubt, if there's any doubt that you're in the faith, talk to a leader, talk to me, talk to somebody in this room that is an adult that loves Jesus, and we would love to work that out with you. There's a difference between being saved and not being sure and just genuinely not being saved. And we want to we help you work that out. That's very, excuse me, that's very serious. So the first big idea is this. This is revealing the gospel. The gospel has been made known to everybody. And so we must respond in faith. And responding in faith is these three things that Jesus kind of lays out and gives us a picture for in this parable. So the first one is this. The chosen want to go to the banquet. They want to go to the banquet. So the chosen are, are invited, right? Many people are invited, but the chosen are the ones who want to go to the banquet, the ones that God has sought out and inspired come to the banquet. They come. They respond to the invitation by wanting to come. Here's the, here's the funny thing. A lot of us give our lives to Christ or, or, or claim to follow Jesus, but we actually don't want to follow Jesus. There's no desire. And so our, uh, our claims at being a Christian are just lip service. You know what I mean? Like, we're just a Christian by title. We just color the little bubble in on the survey that says Christian. Or we, when people ask us, we're like, yeah, I'm a Christian. But we don't, we don't actually desire to know God. We don't desire to know God. I was talking to a friend of mine not too long ago, and I asked him a question. I asked him this. And I want you guys to think about this for a minute. What does it mean for you to be saved? What does it mean for you to be saved? How, could, how would you describe being saved to me? Okay? Now here's the, here's the catch. You can't give me anything that you have to do. So you can't give me read your Bible. You can't give me pray. You can't give me come to church. You can't give me sing worship songs. You can't give me any of that. Describe salvation in Christ without giving me a list of things to do. Think about it. It's hard, isn't it? It really is. If you think about it, it's really hard for us to describe what it means to be saved without giving a list of things to do. Why is that? Because we have, we have literally fallen into the lie that we believe our salvation is based on the things that we do. It's not. It's based on him and his love and the love that he's offered us. It's based on him inviting us and coming to us and bringing us into the banquet. It's not about a list of things to do. Here's the best way that I can answer that question. To know God. That's it. Being saved is knowing God. But not just knowing God, enjoying God. Because out of our joy in God, that's when those things that we do start coming, right? We read the scriptures because we enjoy God. We, we, we long to know God. We pray because we depend on God. We realize our need for God because we enjoy him so much. And we want our ultimate pleasure to be found in him, but we know we're tempted to find pleasure in other things in this world. And so following Jesus isn't about a list of things to do. Following Jesus is about knowing God and enjoying God. And through knowing God and enjoying God, we glorify God. That is how we glorify God the most, is by actually enjoying him and who he is, because Jesus is a person. And so because knowing God is about enjoying God, guess what? The chosen want to go to the banquet. They desire it. They want to. They want to be there. Notice the response in verse 4. It says, again, he sent out other servants and said, Tell those who are invited, See, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fattened cattle have been slaughtered. Like, he's pulled out all the stops. I've made steak for them. The wedding banquet is ready. 
Some nice juicy steak is ready. Everything is ready. Come to the banquet. Verse 5, but they paid no attention. Why did they pay no attention? They went away to their own farm and another to his business. So the first thing we see is they didn't pay, they, they didn't pay attention. They didn't care. The chosen want to. The chosen care. But not only that, yeah, in verse 3, they didn't want to come. So they didn't want to come. They didn't care. The chosen want to come, and they go. The second thing, the chosen are focused on the sun. Now, why did I word that that way? Because a wedding, was there anybody in here that was at my wedding? I think there was a couple of people. Hey, hey, yeah, thanks for coming to my wedding. Um, so when you go to a wedding, who is the, who, who are you, who, who's the wedding about? If you're at a wedding, who's it about? Who is the main character in the drama of a wedding? The bride and the groom, right? The bride and the groom. Now, we all love the bride. The bride is in white. We focus and fix on the bride. But the bride and the groom together are, are the, the point, right? And so back in the first century, it really wasn't any different. So if the king is throwing a wedding banquet for his son, who's the wedding banquet about? The son, yeah. The son, exactly. So if the wedding banquet is about the son, why are we going to the wedding banquet? If the banquet's about the sun, why are we going to the wedding banquet? Right, we want to celebrate the sun. Like, come on, that's awesome. One, this shows us that religion isn't just about like standing around and being bored. Like, following Jesus is something that's very exciting and joyful. It's something that we enjoy. It's something that gives us life. It's not boring by any means. In fact, I've had way more fun following Jesus than doing anything else in my life. Anything else. And so the chosen not only want to go to the banquet, but the chosen are focused on the sun. Here's the interesting thing. Why, look at, look at the passage, look at verse 6. Why did, why, did the, the, why did the guests the king initially invite, why did they not want to go? Why did they not want to go? The answer is in verse 6, I believe. Nope, verse 5, I'm sorry. Verse 5. Why did they not want to go? I want to try to get you guys talking. That's like my goal every week. Okay. What other things? Gabe, you can't answer this question because I love you and I want somebody else to answer it. Okay. What other things were they focused on besides the invitation? Business. Work. Hey. Their farm. Home. Hey. Now, are those good things? Is work and home good things? right? Sometimes farm is work, right? Farm, work. Your dad's a farmer. Hey. So, work is good. Work is not bad. But if work becomes the thing that we take our ultimate joy in, we're no longer interested in the sun. We're no longer interested in the invitation. We're not interested in the king. This is why the, the ultimate call of God throughout scripture is repent, turn from your sin, lay down your idols, and come follow me. This is why biblical faith always accompanies repentance where we, I love that baby. Um, he is hilarious. This is why biblical repent, faith always, always, always is connected from repentance and throwing off your sin. Always. So they're focused on the sun. So we can get distracted by lots of things, right? Like video games can distract us, right? I was distracted by Call of Duty for like the first five years that game existed. Now it's just the same game over and over, so it doesn't distract me anymore. So video games, right, sports, 
Some of you are so drowned in extracurricular activities that at the end of the school year, you finally come up to breathe and you realize you've been running on autopilot for like the past eight months. It's unhealthy. It is. To be so consumed in busyness, to have no time to spend in prayer and in scripture and talking about faith with other people and just to rest is not healthy for you. There are many things in this life that distract us. Boys can distract girls. Girls can distract boys. Right? There are many things in this life that can distract us. Family can be distracting if we lift it up as an idol. Work can be distracting if we lift it up as an idol. Clothes can be distracting if we lift it up as an idol. I could go for a while on this. Our religious participation can be distracting to us. For example, we can be so focused on going to church, reading the Bible, and praying that we actually miss Jesus. And what I mean by this is, um, have you guys ever, raise your hand if you've sat in the front seat of a car. I hope everybody in the room raises their hand. Okay, perfect. Have you ever been sitting in the front seat of the car and looked at the windshield? Like at the windshield. Like there's a bug on the windshield, or there's a smear, or there's something, and you're looking at the windshield. Now, what happens to what you're supposed to be looking at, especially if you're driving? Now, don't try this if you're driving, because the road might not stay under you very long. But, like, what happens if you're focusing, and if you're looking at the windshield, what happens to the road? It's, right, it's blurred. You can't see it, right? Because you're focused on the, on, the, on the windshield. When we focus, when we focus on the things that God has given us to see Christ rather than Christ himself, Christ is blurred. Now, what do I mean by that? Let me break that down for you. Think of Bible, prayer, church, hype. Think of those things as all windshields that you look through to see Christ. That's all these things are designed to be. This is all designed to be something that you see to see Jesus. Yes, I want you to see me and my life and how I follow Jesus. I want you to see that. But I want you to see that so that you would know Christ, right? That's why we preach from the Word. That's why we talk about the Scriptures, because the Scriptures are the things that are going to point us to the Son. But we look through the Scriptures to the thing the Scriptures point to, which is Jesus. And we get so wrapped up in the Bible that we miss the Gospel. That's where the Pharisees were at. They were so wrapped up in the Bible, they missed Christ. They missed the Messiah. The Messiah had come, and they missed it. Why? Because they were looking at the windshield, not through it. And so even our religious participation can cause us to lose focus on the sun. And so my hope for you when you come here is that you're focused on the sun. And if you're not, that tonight would show you that God would expose in your heart your love for sin. Because that's what it is. It's a love for sin. And that he would, he would change you in such a way where you lay down your sin. You repent, you turn from your sin, and you, you, you believe in the good news of the gospel that Christ has come to change your entire life and your entire world, to unite you back with God so that you can know God and enjoy him and glorify him with your life and that you, so that you can live a life in Christ and so that you can take off your sin nature and put on the righteousness that God has given you in Jesus, the holiness that God has given you in Jesus. The last one, the chosen are dressed for the occasion, right? We have this guy, we have this guy who uh, comes to the wedding Right? He comes to the wedding, and he's not in the right clothes. Now, raise your hand if that sounds weird, that story. Like, if you came to my wedding, and I, you, just, like, you were in a t-shirt and shorts, and I threw you out, would that be weird? Like, that would be, you would think I was very unkind if I just threw you out of my wedding for not wearing a suit or a dress. But here's the thing. 
we live in the year 2017, right? Jesus told this parable around 30 AD. So that was um, like 2,000 years ago, a little less than 2,000 years ago, like 1,900 and something years ago, okay? Because I'm not very good at math. Now, obviously, there's time and there's cultural difference, right? Like, there's a lot of cultural difference between us and Central Asia because we're just different, right? The United States is very different from those who live in Indonesia or those who live in Thailand or those who live in Singapore. Like, it's just different. So um, geography causes culture to be different. So does time. So there's a lot of cultural difference here. At a wedding banquet, especially a royal wedding banquet, this isn't any royal wedding banquet, right? This isn't Joe Blow off the street getting married. This is the king's son. When the king's son, when a royal wedding banquet would come, guess where you got your clothes from the banquet? You got them from the king. The king would actually tailor make clothes for you and bring them to you for you to wear to the wedding of his son. It is like if Sarah and I bought clothes for every single guest in our wedding and said, hey, we want you to wear this. And so the king gives the clothes to everybody. And so imagine this guy who like somehow snuck around the bouncer of the wedding, wasn't in the right clothes. What does it mean if he wasn't in the right clothes? It's disrespectful. But not only that, the king actually didn't invite him. He wasn't supposed to be there. That's why Jesus said in verse 14, many are called, few are chosen. Because the king, the king invites the people who will come. The king, the king actually motivates the people to come. And here's the thing. The king gives the people the very thing they need to get into the wedding banquet. The king gives them the clothes they need to walk in the door. Now, how does this work for us? Think of it this way. The clothes are a picture and a symbol of righteous and holy living. Righteous and holy living. So when you're a Christian, your life is different. Your desires are changed. God has recreated your desires in such a way where you no longer desire the world, you desire him. And because of your desire for him, there is now an opposition in your heart, right? This is why Christians still battle with sin. This is why Christians still battle with sin. Because now there is a, a love for God in you that is warring and battling against the love of sin in you. And the rest of your life, your love for God will increase and your love for sin will decrease. That's the most simple way I can explain that. And this process of becoming more like Jesus is something God does over the lifetime of somebody who is saved. But it begins when we're saved, when we get saved. And when we get saved, it is like a king inviting us to a wedding and reclothing us in proper attire to come into the banquet. This is really cool because what this shows us is that the God of the universe removes our filthiness, our filthy rags, our smelly, dirty, nasty clothes, and gives us perfect robes of righteousness and holiness. And this is not anything that we can do for ourselves. We cannot purchase these robes from God. We cannot purchase our righteousness from God. We can't buy it. I can't take out a $5 bill and say, okay, I'm going to put $5 on my righteousness today. I can't do that. I can't work my way to earn that favor with God. I can't earn those clothes. I can't earn that invitation to the wedding banquet. I can't earn it. I can't buy it. It has to be given to me. 
The gospel and the gift of salvation is not a gift that you take. It is a gift that you receive, one that has been freely given to you. And I hope that God is showing you. I hope God is giving you that gift tonight. I do. I really do. I hope that. I hope that God has chosen to give you that gift tonight. Jesus has died. Jesus is resurrected. Jesus is alive. Jesus right now is sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven waiting for his return. And while he is sitting at the right hand of his Father in heaven, he is acting as a middleman between us and God, pleading our case to the Father if we are in Christ. He's not dead. He's not doing nothing. He is Lord and he is King and he is reigning over all of the earth and he deserves our affections. And God inviting us to the wedding banquet, God inviting to the wedding banquet is revealing that God demands the affections of the people that he has created. But it's only the chosen who will give him their affections. And in giving God our affections, we want to participate in God's kingdom. We want to be at the wedding banquet. We want to focus on the sun. We are focused and fixated on the sun. We are all about the sun. And we come dressed for the occasion. Why? Because God himself has clothed us in holiness, and so we cannot help but desire to live godly lives. That's the interesting thing about following Jesus. We don't have to, like, will ourselves up, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps to be righteous. God literally changes our heart to want righteousness, to want holiness. Paul describes it literally as, the things I used to love, sin, I now hate. The things I used to hate, I now love. If you cannot describe your life in Christ that way, I would wonder where you are at. I would. Do you have a a, a, a hatred for the sin in your life? If you do, that's a good sign of your salvation or a good sign that God is beckoning you to come to him. That God is drawing you near to him. And so, My hope for you tonight is that you would believe this. I hope, I pray that you would believe this, that God has freely extended an invitation to you. And what I want you to do, we have 15 minutes. I have four questions on a sheet of paper that I want you to look at, okay? And on these four questions, the first one is this. Honestly look at yourself. Have you accepted or rejected Jesus? Have you accepted or rejected Jesus? And then the next three questions are going to help you process what that actually looks like. Okay, and then at the end, once we're done, my hope is this. If, if you have, if you believe that God is drawing you near to him tonight, I hope and I pray that you will talk to an adult in here. I do. That's why we're here. That's, that's why we come, because we love you guys, and we, we want to follow Jesus with you. The adults in this room are not just warm bodies to come chaperone this event that we do every week. No, these adults in here love and care for you dearly and want to see you grow into the image and likeness of Jesus and want to help you grow into the image and likeness of Jesus. That's why we want to do a Bible study with high school guys. The only reason why it's high school guys is because it's at 8 o'clock at night, and that usually ends up being a pretty late night for most people. So... um, That's why we want to do things like that. And girls, if you want to get something like that together, do it. Like, please, do it. Ask an adult to join you in that. We want to help you follow Jesus. We want to follow Jesus together, right, because we can't do it alone. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to hand these out, and then we'll just kind of spend time reflecting for 15 minutes, um, and we'll be done for the night. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. God, thank you for the invitation of your gospel. 
And thank you for your word that shows us and lays out explicitly what your gospel is, what the good news of Jesus is, that Christ has come, that we are sick and we are covered in sin, but Christ through his death and resurrection has cleansed us. Father, we can be cleansed of our sins today. And so we pray, God, that you would draw us near to you, draw us near to you and show us who Jesus is so that we would respond to your gospel. I pray that you would enlighten our hearts. God, that you would cleanse our hearts, that your Holy Spirit would be given to us as a gift, as, insur- as assurance and certainty for our salvation and that we would be able to live, live lives that are dependent on your spirit. God, if we are in Christ in here, I pray that we were reminded of the severity of the call of the gospel. We would be motivated to share it with our friends. We would be motivated to talk about Jesus with our friends. But more than that, we would, be, we would see our need. That apart from you, we are sick and in need of deep cleansing. And I pray, God, that you would cleanse our hearts tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.